Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend, but on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love our neighbors, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll join us because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey friends, welcome to episode six. Thanks so much for listening and for all of you who have joined us on social media and as listener supporters on Anchor. The links to all of our accounts and to become a listener supporter are all listed in the show notes. If you're new to podcasts and you keep thinking, Jessica, what on earth are these show notes you keep talking about? In your podcast app, it could also be called the episode description. So for example, I'm a fan of the Overcast app. And in Overcast, when you have your podcast pulled up to listen, you see the show logo, and if you swipe left, it brings up the title of the episode and a description. On Apple Podcasts, if you scroll to the bottom of the screen below the show logo and audio controls, the description and show notes show up down there. That's where you can go to find all of the links. And I hope that you'll follow us on social media and consider becoming a listener supporter. You can sign up for as little as 99 cents a month. Today on the show, I'm talking to Farrah Easter Barrier. Farrah grew up in Memphis and is a graduate of Indiana Bible College. You might know her as an anointed singer and recording artist, but Farrah has also taken on another task, that of being a person willing to discuss an often taboo topic in the church, her troubled first marriage and eventual divorce. Farrah is passionate about bringing the stories of divorcees into the light and challenging the church to be a place for them to experience healing, love, and acceptance. One minor note, Farrah and I both grew up and attend churches that are affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International, the UPC. So you might hear our organization referenced a few times in this episode. However, I think our discussion is relevant to most churches today, so don't let that deter you. All right, let's get right to my discussion with Farrah Easter Barrier. Hello, Farrah. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm so excited to have you on today, and you are unique. You are the first guest I've had that I don't know in person. Oh, wow. So we have mutual friends and some mutual connections, and that's how we got in in touch to do this. But you and I have never met, and uh, up until last week, we weren't even connected on social media. So this is a new experience for me and for the show. So thank you so much for being on with us today. I'm very honored. So basically, people are going to see our friendship develop during That's this right. podcast. They're going to watch us become friends <laughs> or right. listen to us become friends, I guess. <laughs> so this first question is usually for my listeners, but today it's also for me. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you're about? Sure. I was born in the Philippines. I was adopted around the age of four to an apostolic family, along with my biological younger brother. Uh, We grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, We were part of Terry Black's church, just to kind of give everyone an idea of the church culture I grew up in. I started singing at around the age of nine, but that was only because (laughs) my mom signed me up to sing at our children's revival, and I'm pretty sure I was mad at her for it. naturally, uh, not so much more so now in my adult life, but I was severely introverted as a kid. Started writing songs at the age of 11, graduated high school, got a full scholarship to a local college for music, but I left after that first semester because I decided I wanted to go to Bible college. Um, I'm a four-year graduate of Indiana Bible College, class of 2010. I was married to my first husband from 2011 until we divorced in 2015, too much shy of four years. During my separation from him, I moved to Katy, Texas and healed at the POK. Uh, a lot of that is thanks to my church family who still feel like family. 
and Bob and Sharon McKee. And there, uh, I met my now husband uh, in 2018, and we got married in September of 2019. He's the most amazing human God ever created. Mm-hmm. He gave four stepkids who are, they're all, I don't, I hate to say kids because they're all pretty much adults, but he gave me four step adults to love on and who I feel in return love me. Um, and then this year, we'll be celebrating two years of marriage. Like I said, in September, we've been living in Florida since we were married. We Recently, we just relocated to the Orlando area, which has been a pretty tough transition for me because Jimmy Tony was our pastor for our first year of marriage, and I'm just slightly irritated at God because now I have to find another church. <laughs> so we're kind of in, kind of in limbo, just trying to get roots here in Orlando. But other than that, it's it's a it's life is pretty good. That is quite a life path, and <laughs> congratulations on the recent marriage. I'm very excited Thank to hear you. more about that. Yeah, I had shared with you that. I was brainstorming topics for the podcast and had written down the topic of divorce in the church. And when I did that, your face and your name sprung to mind. And I remembered only vaguely something I'd read online several years ago. And I think it was a Facebook post that someone had shared of yours. But all I remember is that you wrote very openly and very candidly about your first marriage and about the aftermath of that marriage. And I remember just being so impressed with your willingness to talk about something that's so private and so painful on a public forum. I knew that had to take a lot of courage, and I knew that there had to be a lot of people who could relate to what you were saying, and I could only imagine we're probably just so grateful to you for sharing your experience in that way. And that was what I wanted to have you come on today to talk about. Not not really a fun topic, I guess, but I think it's one that's so needful to be discussed openly and not, I think, the way it sometimes is, which is kind of in hushed, whispered conversations and maybe not uh, in a way that's entirely helpful to people. So I wanted to start back maybe before that first marriage. Can you tell me a little bit of... Let me say something real quick. Yeah. I feel like this is so needed that I'm willing to take all of the bullets and the arrows that come with this stigma even if I gain a lot of enemies from it, I've gained so much more private support from people that are just scared to even like a post that I share. Mm. So this, I am very much open to being open about this because it makes the stoic, Pharisee people in our movement uncomfortable. And that to me is, I kind of revel in that. <laughs> Won't hear a lot of people admit that, but I I love making Pharisaic people uncomfortable. So this is not going to be a hard topic for me. So just I just want everyone to know that. I yeah I love that, and I think I I can relate to that in a lot of ways, and that's a lot of the reason why this show is even coming to the world is because of a similar urging that there are things that need to be talked about. And Mm -hmm. if no one else is going to do it, it's up to me. So I think we're Mm -hmm. kindred spirits in that way. And so I'm, I'm excited to talk more about it. Yay. I'm excited. (laughs) So can you go back and tell me a little bit about yourself when you were young and single before that first marriage, what were your expectations, your hopes, your dreams around marriage? I was, you know, growing up in Memphis, I came from an amazing church. I had a huge youth group. I, I want to say 90% of the people in my youth group, we all went to the same high school, middle school. So the stigma that like church people were bullied in high school, I didn't have that. As a matter of fact, people in my high school loved the Pentecostals because we were, you know, we were actual Christians. <laughs> and so I had a very comfortable bubble growing up. You know, I I didn't, I was very content with life as is, so much so that I was easily upset if there was any sort of drastic change. And yet that's so ironic for my life because I'm the one in my family that God has moved around the most. Mm. 
uh, quite honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of big aspirations for my life. I was honestly just really excited just to live and die in the same church, get married, raise kids. I never even dreamed about going off to Bible college, much less recording music or using or utilizing social media to blog about my life experience. But suffice it to say, I just I look at my life now and I understand that my hopes and dreams were quite the opposite. And yet I know that if things had happened my way, I would not be nearly as happy as I am now. And that's even after I went through my first marriage. And I'll get into those details later, but I just know that everything that has happened to me has led me to where I am now, and I can't regret that. Yeah. As far as expectations for marriage, I knew marriage was going to be a challenge for someone like me. I make this joke all the time that my mom tried really hard to raise a poised and perfect lady, and she succeeded with my two older sisters, but I am my own person. (laughs) You know, I'm not politically correct. I'm abrasive. I'm stubborn. I can come across rebellious, especially against someone who rules like a dictator. I'm challenging in the sense that I'm not afraid to confront someone. So all of these things I knew were going to be sources of contention in a marriage. I felt like I was cut from a different cloth most of my life. So because of that, I didn't go into any marriage expecting it to be a fairy tale. I think a lot of that had to do with the understanding that it was going to have to be a very special and patient man to love me. And, you know, I thought and married someone worthy of, of that the first time. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's it's a good thing for young people who are not married to hear two things that you said. One, which is you can have goals or aspirations for your life or even just a dream of just staying where you are and getting married and living for the Lord and, and living and dying in the same church. You can have whatever dream you, you envision for your life, but we need to hold those things loosely because God knows better. Right. And I relate to that so much because I had the same the same idea growing up that I would stay right where I was at and I'm I'm like you. I've <laughs> I've lived in six different states in 15 years and <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and it's just like the one that no one ever expected to leave and then I'm the one that's been all over the place and so for young people listening just have your dreams, make your plans, hold them right. loosely and let God do what he wants to do. And then I think it's also good for people to hear that when you're going into marriage, it is a good idea to to have a realistic expectation that it's not all sunshine roses and fairy tales. Right. Even in a good marriage, it's it's going to be difficult. There's going to be stuff that comes up and it's not going to necessarily be the things that you imagine are going to come up. You're not going to have the fights that you think you're going to have, you know. So those are good things to to keep in mind. For anyone who's looking to get married. So now I guess, would you just tell me about that first marriage? Yeah. How that all went down? So when I, when I, and I, I, I mentioned the last time that I, I felt like I married the right person initially. So when I say that I initially married someone who I thought was a perfect match for me, I'm not saying he was a perfect person. I'm just saying like some of the same qualities and the same interests and likes that we had. I felt was a perfect match for me. And it wasn't without betting him a lot. Mm-hmm. So after everyone in his church, you know, vouched for him, his, the music minister at his church was sort of like a father figure to him. His dad didn't go to his church. The music minister's daughter actually graduated IBC with me. So he was like his best friend and father figure. So that would have been the person that knew him the best you know, outside of his family and his pastor. So, you know, everyone at his church vouched for him. He, His music minister friend, his pastor, you know, people that had watched him grow up on a pew after his parents divorced, you know, they're all giving thumbs up. My family liked him. My pastor at the time also gave his approval. And when I say I vetted him, I'm not just talking about, like, just getting people's approval. I'm not just talking about 
you know, am I physically attracted to him? You know, do we have the same likes and values? Let me also give you insight to who this man was, past tense there, who he was when I married him. And even some of these qualities that I'm about to list, they continued even after we got married. He was involved on the praise team and in the choir. He ran the sound. He played the drums. He faithfully attended the college-age Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Faithfully attended and helped at every single Friday night youth service. Mind you, he didn't have a title. Nobody asked him to come to these things. Nobody asked him to be involved. He did this on his own. He helped with the mayor's group, again, on his own. He assisted the music minister with their annual music conference. And he cleaned the church. All of this stuff he still continued to do even after we got married. So those things that I saw that he was doing, he was trying to be a servant. He was trying to, you know, serve in God's kingdom without any accolades, without a title, without there being any what's in it for me, you know, because nobody ever acknowledged him. And on top of all that, he's faithful in his tithing and his attendance, even when most of his family was completely backslidden. There was there was no parent that went to church with him. He went alone without someone having to lead him by the hand or butter him up with, you know, butter him up by saying, you know, you gotta you gotta come back. I know people that have never backslidden that just need that need to be babies. I, I hate to be frank, but I I know grown adults that need to be babies every week to come to church and petted every week to come to church to be faithful and. All of that combined, that spoke to me concerning who he was because, okay, surely this man, this guy can't be that bad if he is investing, selflessly investing all of this time, all of this effort in the church with no recognition, right? right. So to me, I didn't ever want to marry anyone with a last name or with a celebrity status. I, I wanted to marry someone who was going to be a good leader and example. And so because he had been so diligent in all of this, everything that he was involved in, I I just, I was really, I don't want to say blinded. I was really motivated to marry this man because of the potential I saw. And, you know, hindsight is 2020. Potential is, potential is pretty dangerous. Hmm. And I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, the, the fact that he was a northerner, he certainly wasn't as warm and friendly as the southern men that I was used to dating. But I was so impressed by his faithfulness to church that I just decided that I could let all of that override his choleric personality. If you're a personality junkie, then you know what a choleric is. If you don't know what that is, then Google it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I could, I could do a whole podcast on personality. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do that one later. <laughs> uh, but a personality, can, it can absolutely squash potential when everything becomes about you. And and what I didn't find out until after we were married uh, was the history of violence among the men in his family. Because so we can't just look at someone's potential as an indication of, of what they're going to be because. People can make an about face. My first marriage is evident that someone can completely change who they are from who they, who you initially thought they were, even if they initially were a better person. At this point, I don't know. I don't know if he was just trying to hide it until we got married. So understand that for three years, I didn't tell people. I didn't tell anyone in my family what was going on. Number one, because... I, I didn't think anyone would believe me. And number two, people don't people don't think you have the right to separate. I'm not saying divorce because that that's kind of controversial, even still within the church. But people don't think you have a right, a biblical right, to separate from someone that is physically abusing you. So a lot of women, like myself, just we just stay silent. It all came to a head, you know, the last year of our marriage, which was the third year, on, on top of the abuse, I'd, I'd suffered a miscarriage a few months before he threw me out of our home, which was not even a month after we celebrated our third anniversary. 
I was raised to believe that I'm trapped. I can't leave because, you know, we, we live in this culture that we don't believe in divorce unless there's been an affair because the church, the church's attitude would let you believe that you should stay with someone even if they physically abuse you. And that, to me, comes across as very cultish in our church culture. You're leaning on this person to lead you to, to you know, be the, the spiritual authority in your life. So when someone abuses that, when someone, you know, misquotes or, or misinterprets the Bible's definition of submission, to use it as a tool. And so at, at that point, I was just kind of used to that misinterpretation. You know, right. submission, but submission is not slavery, okay? I've never had submission issues in my life. I was submitted to my pastor growing up. I submitted to the authority at college. Submission doesn't mean you can't challenge rules or whatever. It's, it's okay to ask questions. You know, I submitted to my parents. I didn't give my parents any trouble. If they asked me a question, I never lied about it, you know. So I didn't have issues with submission. I had issues with slavery. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I guess could sum up my first marriage. I don't want to put all the blame on him. I, I think there's a lot of failure in the people that sort of groomed him and raised him. And that's a lot of areas that I feel like the church has failed in. We've raised our girls to only seek marriage as the highlight of their life instead of encouraging education and hobbies. and Well, and just just personal growth and discipleship, right? Absolutely. Like, right. So he could someone like your first husband could want with all of their heart to grow into a godly Christian man and to leave For behind sure. the the past that they come from. But right. the fact of a fallen world is that we're all impacted by our environments that we grew up with, even by genetic things that are passed down to us, whether those are addiction or, you know, tendencies towards certain things. And so you can, like you said, you can have all the potential in the world and you can strive in your actions towards faithfulness to God or the church or even your wife, but each of us are individually responsible to actually get with God ourselves and work through those things that are trying to to drag us down, right? And as a spouse, you don't have any control over whether your husband or your wife does that work themselves. It's something that I've realized since having children, and I mean, my kids are really little still, but you you can't actually make someone else do anything. <laughs> Even a child, like you, you can strongly encourage and you can discipline and you can teach and you can remove other options, but you can't actually force someone to do something they don't want to do. And so it's it all comes down to we individually have to be doing the things that we need to do to work through our own issues to grow in God. And unfortunately, if someone chooses not to do that, the ripple effect, because we are, we do live in community and in relationship, it it affects other people. Yeah. You know, and honestly, my ex-husband, he was very easily influenced. If he would have allowed himself to be influenced by someone that was actually good, then I really think that he could have been a better husband and a better person. It's just that sin is so, it's so selfish. At the end of the day, there's no sin that isn't self-seeking, you know, because sin is what makes me feel good? What's in it for me? Not what does it make other people feel? I'm not saying you, you can't make people uncomfortable. Obviously, this is why this podcast is here. <laughs> I'm saying why would I personally try to make someone else miserable? You know, the Bible challenges us to to leave not only this earth, but the people that we that are, have to deal with our presence. We're wanting to leave everyone better than when they found us just by being around us. I would think the basic principles of being a Christian is to better the world. Mm-hmm. So. I just, I really think that if he had just surrounded himself with better people, I think there could have been a fighting chance for us. 
from 2015 to 2019. I was a single girl trying to figure figure out who I am, uh, you know, now that there's some cracks in my story and just trying to figure out how can I let my little light shine because the cracks are here for a reason. Um, it's to let light through. So how am I going to utilize that? Well, nobody's talking about divorce. Why not? Yeah. So here you are. <laughs> so I've I've heard something recently and I'd like to run it by you and see what you think. So there's a woman that I follow online. She's not necessarily a Christian writer or blogger or whatever, but she does talk about relationships and I like to listen to some of her stuff. One of the things that she has mentioned is that she feels very strongly that women need to have friendships where they can go and talk about their marriages and not sharing like intimate details about, you know, your personal relationship with your husband or anything like that. But just kind of like some of the dynamics of the relationship so that your friends can kind of look at you and say like, yeah, that's normal. That's yeah, that's happening with us, too. Or someone can say like, nope, that's not normal. And you need to, you know, maybe be careful about that or keep an eye on that or what have you. You mentioned that you weren't really talking to anybody about what was happening in the marriage. Would you think that would be a is do you feel like that's good advice to have someone that you're talking to about what's going on inside of your marriage? Okay, so that's a loaded question. (laughs) I think I've got a different view than a whole lot of people do. So I think, honestly, I think it's based on what's available. So I did probably the last year, I think within the last six months of us actually physically being together before he kind of like threw me out of our home. I did reach out to the pastor's wife. Again, mind you, these, this is not a shepherd and his wife that I chose. Mm-hmm. So I, I had no resources. This was the last straw before I let my family know what was going on. I did talk to the pastor's wife, but it, it really didn't do any good. She just kind of just patted my knee and said, we'll pray for you, say about it. And the women at that church were so accustomed to how their husbands treated them that it was that it would have been normal to them. But if you had a church like the POK, like Robin Sharamaki, if I had had that church, if I had had that relationship with my pastor and his wife, I think my marriage could have survived. Mm. Again, again, he could, he could still decide to have his affairs and I would still divorce him. But as far as feeling isolated and lonely, yeah, I think I would have had someone to discuss, you know, whether is this normal? Is this not normal? So I do encourage trying to find someone to talk about. But if your church is full of gossipers, if there's a pastor's wife that you just feel like doesn't have your back, then what's the point? Yeah. At that point, you need to seek outside or secular counselors. <clears throat> Call the church central elders. I just said, <laughs> you know, um, is that a lot of pastors and pastors' wives are really inexperienced with divorcees. And you know what? Maybe that's a great problem. I'm glad that everyone in your church has kept their marriage alive. That's great. That's a great testimony. That's like someone who has never backslidden from church. Great. I'm glad God has kept you. But please let's not be egotistical and say, oh, we'll just pray about it and then discourage them from seeking outside help just because of your inexperience. You know, Mm, Yes. I think if you have no one to talk to because you feel like they're going to gossip about you, I absolutely encourage outside help. Well, and you know what, maybe as I'm sitting here thinking about this and we're talking about it, it starts way before having someone you can call to talk to about things that are happening when something doesn't feel quite right. It starts with an overall culture of being comfortable talking about things, period. Mm -hmm. Because I think, like you said, even our parents, in an attempt to let us grow up and be adults and like live our own lives and not be overbearing, they might even be like, oh, I see things that that concern me, but you know, you're a grown up now. And so I'm just going to let you figure it out or I'm not going to overstep or what have you. And I think that happens sometimes with people in our churches, just an overall culture of privacy that I think comes from a good place, but that 
in a lot of cases can lead to someone in a situation isolated and dealing with something that they shouldn't have to be going through alone. For sure. Our parents came from the generation of you just don't talk about things. Hmm. You know, it's inappropriate to make people uncomfortable with your problems. You know, so you just hush up and either tolerate it or deal with it privately. Mm-hmm. And that really hasn't helped based on statistics. <laughs> How did the church, and I don't necessarily mean just the church that you were in, but the church as a whole react or respond to you as your marriage ended and, and you moved into that, that period of being single again? So I approached my divorce a lot differently than a lot of people do. I didn't just delete pictures of us and let people come to their own conclusions. I know. The day of my divorce, I posted on Facebook basically saying, I want everyone to hear this from me. I don't want you to have to try and guess what's going on in my life. I feel like I've been very open open with my life thus far. I want to maintain this authenticity with people that are following me by just taking things head on or dealing with things head on. And so I just said, today I've officially divorced my ex-husband, you know, and I was, I was, I wasn't necessarily vague about the details, but I did imply that he had had an affair, um, one of the affairs being with a best friend. And I said, I forgive the people that were involved in the destruction of my marriage. I'm, I'm trying to forgive my husband. I'm moving on with my life in Texas. I, I'm so thankful for God for protecting me. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for those that have reached out when they noticed something was going on, blah, 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 blah. I can't tell you. I wish I could read every comment, every mess, private message that was sent my way. Just, man, just the outpouring of love that I didn't, I didn't, you know, honestly, I didn't expect it. I just figured people would be praying for you, blah, blah, blah. I did not expect this flood of affirmation. My husband now, Kip. <laughs> he says, I'm just, I'm just, I'm looking for a fight, you know. <laughs> he says that all the time. <laughs> and, uh, it's not looking for a fight. I'm, I'm, I'm just ready to defend. Mm-hmm. Let's defending me or defending someone that I feel like is an underdog. I'm ready for the defense because I know what I've done. I know what I've done when I've posted this. I know the negative things that are potentially going to happen. There's that word again. Mm-hmm. I know, I know the negative thoughts that are that are gonna be thought about me sharing this not only the fact that I got divorced but the fact that I have shared it you know mm-hmm. so I was, I was prepared for those what I wasn't prepared for was the amount of people that reached out to me and I you know those people were my lifeline but you know as far as the negative responses, there's two incidences. One, um, a very popular blog that is also a fashion, one of our modest fashion people, they have reached out to me for an interview, but they had to delete the article to the, the people in politics and our movement who were uncomfortable with my testimony. Hmm. One of the girls that was like a co-author, or something, the girl that interviewed me, she said, Sarah, it was a unanimous vote that nobody wanted to take down this article. This blog had more likes and more shares than any of our other articles previous. And she said, this is what people are wanting. And she said, the fact that we have had to take down this blog, it's just proof that Pentecostals are still way behind other denominations when it comes to uncomfortable topics like divorce. Hmm. And so I'm thankful that even in spite of that article being taken down, that the people that were part of this blog were fighting it, even if they were fighting it silently, you know, by unanimous you know, vote, like, no, we don't want to do this. Do this. I, I'm thankful that I had their support, even though, you know, but, you know, I just copied that interview and I posted it on my Facebook, like, haha, y'all can't shut me up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Watch me now. Yeah. So, um, I took off the blog's name to protect them because I I promoted the blog before. So everyone that knew that I was going to be interviewed 
they had already shared multiple uh, links to the blog on their Facebook. So anyone that knew that I was being interviewed by this blog knew who who it was. Yeah. So you know it. It's people like that that really fuel me. Like, oh, I've upset you. Let me do something else to upset you because I got more stuff to say. So, um. <laughs> so what do you think it is? Like, what do you think it is that scares people so much about talking about this? I have no idea. Uh, the only thing, and I guess I could understand it if it was a if it was a family in ministry that their kid had been the adulterer. I guess I can understand that. It's it's hitting, it's hitting the doorstep of not only just saints in the church, but people in ministry. It, the divorce is, is right at their doorstep now. And honestly, I think God is just, it's, he's forcing us to talk about this because it's become so dangerous. And I guess if people, this is, I don't know, it's weird. I guess if people feel like they openly not support because I don't want to say I don't want to say that I'm supportive of divorce. I'm compassionate towards divorcees. I don't know if they just think like maybe if we encourage this kind of openness that you know it'll spread in our church. I really don't know. Again, yeah, it's, it's the same as lots of other topics. Like we're afraid if we talk about it, we're going to perpetuate it. But what happens is that like this stuff grows in the dark. <laughs> You know, if we keep things hidden in the dark, it just, it, it doesn't help. It only hurts more people. Absolutely. And, and then, and then when we don't deal with it, well, then we don't have any experience to talk to the next family that's dealing with it. And therefore, we're still cultivating ignorance and inexperience with this ever-growing pandemic, I want to say. <laughs> yeah. actually manage a divorce group on Facebook. It's funny how it started. I created it just to have a, a safe place to like post inappropriate and awkward divorce memes. And I don't mean inappropriate. <laughs> it was profanity in it. But I was like, like I had, I posted a meme on my Facebook, like 2020 is still better than my first marriage, you know, and I got, I got so many of my divorcee friends commenting on it. I was like, well, shoot, why don't we just make a whole page where we can do this, you know? That's and funny. so I added, I added a bunch of women. And then, like, after a week, you know, I thought, hey, I know all of y'all don't know each other. And I said, why don't we just use this as a place where we can just kind of share each other's stories? And I'm telling you, it's no longer a meme page. It is it's a sort of, it's a resource. Because once everyone started sharing their stories, once everyone realized, oh my word, there's a ton of ex-ministers wives in here that were shunned by the church, shunned by districts that they had invested in, and then these districts just left them to hang dry, you know, just because they got a divorce, because they're uncomfortable, apparently, with talking to a divorcee, they finally found a resource that that would let them tell their story. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's always encouraging to find someone else who understands what you've been through, and it, and and again, that's one of the goals. One of my driving uh, missions of this podcast is to help people feel less alone. There have been right. topics in my life, not divorce, but other topics, things that have happened in my life that I want to talk to somebody about. I want to ask somebody about, but the question itself seems like it's so taboo that I can't even bring it up. And that just makes you feel alone. It makes you feel shameful. It makes you start to question if there's something wrong with you or your relationship with God. And so my whole goal here is to help people feel less alone. So I can only imagine that those ladies must feel like that's just a lifeline for them to have someone else that understands, someone else that they can talk to who isn't going to look down at them, who they're not worried about talking about them behind their back, all of that. I, I think that's right. amazing. You know, we talked about, um, or you just mentioned something about just asking questions. You know, we've grown up in Pentecost, or we, we are, we're raised in Pentecost our whole lives. We understand the scriptures that back up our standards and stuff like that, and almost and then back up, you know, political views and, and whatnot. 
But because we've heard these scriptures our whole life, sometimes it's it's almost embarrassing to ask, okay, but beyond this scripture, what, seriously, why do we do some of the things that we do? Why do we think the way that you think? What, why, why do we stay hush-hush about certain topics? And you're almost, it, the attitude that is met when you ask a question is, how dare you? You know, like, or you should know this. You should know better by now. You've been in this how long? You're, you're 18 years old and you still understand why you believe what you believe. And so that same attitude is bled into any other, even more serious topics like racism and divorce and remarriage. And Yeah, for sure. So if you could snap your fingers today and change something about the way the church deals with divorce, what would it be? Well, honestly, I think both sides of the story need to be heard. Even, yes, even if he, if this person's not the victim. Because I think it's important to find that the one who has, I guess, been the abuser, adulterer, or whoever, I guess, I guess the one at fault, I hate saying that, the one at fault also needs to be heard. I think you need to hear both sides of the story to kind of get a general idea of what's the truth and what's, re- what's really happening. Hmm. I think the problem is, is that we only hear the one we deem that's more important. I, I think a lot of failure is that, I, yeah, I guess we kind of say this, the most politically correct that I can, <laughs> even though I hate being politically correct, we're just hearing the side of the person that we deem as more important. So you need to hear both sides of the story. Divorcees need a ministry to be involved in at the church. I think that's appalling. If they're not connected to something, if they can't be involved in something in their church, how else are they going to feel like they have purpose in life? Yeah. So they need a ministry to, to plug into. I don't care if it's running the sound or, you know, doing the slideshow for lyrics for just something. Get them involved in something. Stop shutting them. You know, I mentioned before that, you know, if a pastor and his wife is inexperienced, that they need to have resources that they can point these divorces to. There should be programs or counselors that are readily available or at least that they can recommend if they are inexperienced in that specific area of heartache you know don't let your state find resources on their own i mean you better be aware of it of what's available at least yeah. in your community or yeah. you might lose them to another church who makes them feel you know quote unquote understood yeah honestly i think that's why we see a lot of divorces backslide not be, not just because they're bitter towards how UPC has handled or has not handled their divorce, but because number one, there's not enough resources. And I think, I think there's a program called Divorce Care. It's not, it's not a program that apostolics have developed, but have we just decided to not have that resource because it's not UPC based? Why don't we take that resource? and mold it to what we believe and offer it. It's not our church, maybe a local church within the district or within the section that deals more with divorcees. Something, you know, just don't don't make them find security or find counsel in another church because then you're going to sit there and wonder, why did they backslide? Well, you know, you need to make sure that your church is just a place where everyone can heal. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how likely that is in a quote-unquote Holy Ghost believing church. You know, for me, I feel like I'm cut from a different cloth, you know, not in the most positive way all the time. <laughs> I just, I don't feel like a, a cookie-cutter Christian. The fact that the McKees just absolutely let me flourish and spread my wings and walk in the authority that I felt to speak about my divorce. The fact that they just trusted me and supported me, I don't think they know how much they've changed my life. Hmm. Well, God gave me strength, but the McKees, they really nurtured it. I just don't know who I would be today if they hadn't been in my life. Because honestly, I don't have a lot of support from my own family when it comes to being bold about 
how much our movement is lacking in the area of divorcees. I mean, <laughs> even my husband cringes when I post some of my more abrasive stuff. But at the end of the day, mind me, you know, how much our movement needs more voices like mine. And, you know, I, I wish I didn't feel so alone in this endeavor to challenge our typical and sometimes ancient church culture. But if I have to be the guinea pig, if I have to be at the forefront of this fight for divorcees, I have never felt more courageous than I do now because I've I've had way too many people reach out to me to just drop this or to back down or to give up. And so, you know, like I said, if I could change something within the church, just let it be a place where people can feel and flourish. If you don't have the programs, that's fine. But there needs to be a place where the person at fault and the person victimized can both heal. Maybe they can't heal at the same church, but I don't ever want it to be said of me that I'm so unforgiving, and I do battle with a lot of unforgiveness, but I don't want to be so unforgiving that I don't want to rejoice if my ex-husband ever gets back in church. I want him to get back in church. I want him to make it to heaven. He can't do that unless there's a church that's ready to say, hey, Let's acknowledge the fault. Let's fix them. And then let's heal completely so that you don't carry this into the next marriage. And then let's take our victimized family and say, you know, you're not without hope just because you're a divorcee. Let's give you a place that you feel you have purpose. So that's my two cents. I love that. And I think it's, I think you're right. Programs definitely, absolutely are needed. But if your church doesn't offer that, that doesn't mean even if you're not the pastor or you're not the pastor's wife or in some kind of, you know, quote unquote ministry position, we can all individually be people who provide a safe environment for people to heal. Right. We can choose not to gossip. We can choose to be welcoming and loving and not ask nosy questions (laughs) and and make people feel welcome and let them know that we see them and we love them and what they've either done in the past or have had done to them in the past does not change the fact that they're valuable to us, that they are vital to our church, to our community, to our family. That's something that we can each do individually. And I think if we each individually did that as a culture in the church, we would move leaps and bounds forward in dealing with not only divorce, but with all kinds of other issues that people don't want to talk about, but that are, they exist and putting, pushing them under the rug is not doing anything to help. It's pushing people out and pushing people away from God. I'm going to wrap us up there because I think that that was excellent. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your heart. I, I am again, just so appreciative of your openness, your willingness to talk about things that are personal and private. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to know that I have a counterpart in the world who is ready to tackle some tough topics and push the church out of her comfort zone and to do it in the name of making people feel loved and included and wanted by the body of Christ. So thank you so much for being with us. Well, I'm honored to have Conrad. I'm I'm excited to know that there are other people like yourself that are are just tired of of not tackling these sort of topics. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and I forgot. I almost forgot our last question again. So the show is called Good Question, and we're talking about how when you know that Jesus is the answer, every question right. can be a good question. So I want to know what's a good question that you are asking. So let me preface this question <laughs> so that you know why I'm asking it. Uh, you know, we live in the area of in area. We live in the era of influence. You know, social media is a huge. It's a huge platform for anyone that feels like a nobody to eventually become a somebody. That's based off of the validation that comes with likes and followers, right? Mm-hmm. So 
you know, if you want to be a follower, an influencer on, on something such as Instagram, there are people that you can actually get connected with that will tell you, okay, if you want to be an influencer, we need you to, we need you to market or advertise for the companies that we're going to send you. We're going to send you products, blah, blah, blah. And I think you only get that after you have like a really significant amount of followers. You know, people eventually start reaching out to you. And so my good question that I've been asking lately is what is the motive behind your influence? Is it mm-hmm. simply just to grow followers? Or is it to make heaven really crowded? Hmm. Everyone has an area of influence. Um, and you can't say that you don't have influence because if you've got even one follower on your Instagram or your Facebook, sorry, buddy, you have influence. Mm-hmm. What is our motive behind our influence? Well, you that's going to give me something to think about for the rest of the day. <laughs> and I am... I'm grateful for it because I love to have new thoughts to turn around in my brain. I think it's a good one. All right, Farah Easter Barrier, thank you so much for being with us. And I can't wait to someday when all of this uh, craziness in the world is over and we're somewhere at a, a conference in the same place to meet you in person and say thanks so much. I just sent you a friend request on Facebook so that we can officially be friends. There we go. Not official till it's Facebook official. I want to give a big thank you to Farah for coming on to talk with me today. I know I left our conversation with much to think about, and I hope you will as well. I challenge you to do some self-examination. It's easy to point our finger at the church or a pastor and say they aren't doing enough to support divorcees or other groups of people that we identify with. But I want to take a look at my own life and my own habits. Am I welcoming? Am I loving and supportive? Do I make space in my life, my friendships, my inner circle for people whose life stories and life paths haven't been fairy tale perfect? Do I whisper and gossip when I see people struggling in their relationships or other aspects of their lives? Do I reach out only to get the scoop or do I truly seek to listen, understand, love, support, and pray for my brother or sister when things in life go awry? These are definitely things that I want to be thinking about. If you know someone who would be encouraged by this episode, please shoot them a text or share this episode on social media. You can follow Farah on Instagram at fairbear8619, and she's also active on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Good Question with Jessica Tandrup, and we're on Instagram at Good Question Show. You can also follow me at Jessica Tandrup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. Find those links as well as the link to Anchor where you can become a listener supporter in the show notes. We'll be back here next week with another good question. See y'all then.